0: You're listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. For more teaching and resources, visit LargerStory.com.
1: Coming up next on this edition of New Way Conversations, Dr. Larry Crabb joins us again with a liberating look at gender, releasing true masculinity and true femininity. There's
0: something in the soul of every human being that rarely comes out. And the liberation is from hiddenness. The liberation is from self-hatred. The liberation is from terror. Is there not something about me as a man that goes way beyond whether my body is the Charles Atlas type body or whether my appearance is GQ. And is there not something about a woman that in the core of her being is beautiful by God's design and could she get hold of that and could she be liberated from hiddenness
1: to release? Welcome back to this edition of New Way Conversations from New Way Ministries, This series we've titled A Liberating Look at Gender, Releasing True Masculinity and Femininity. I'm Jim Cress here with psychologist and best-selling author, Dr. Larry Crabb. Larry, we talked about a lot of important, just, just things to ponder about how messed up we are really as men and women, and today... We, we thought we would focus in on the realm of womanhood. We'll just let, you know, ladies first. We've heard that, so ladies first. We'll talk about womanhood today. And a good place to start is with the Bible. Does that make sense? That's a good place.
0: And the first time you come across the whole idea of a distinction between men and women, and that might not be a bad sentence to focus on for just a second, mm-hmm. I believe, at my controversial best, that men and women are different in ways that go way beneath the obvious. Men wear certain kinds of clothing, women wear certain kinds of clothing, although that's changing in our culture. Um, Women's bodies are very different than men's bodies. We had our granddaughter born, and just one look at this little baby, and you know it's a girl. And when our grandson was born, one look, you know it's a boy. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I believe that we're gonna look at a little bit carefully here is one one of my clear positions, and I'm not alone in this. A lot of theologians have taken this position, that the way the woman's body has been designed by God is a parable of the way her soul exists.
1: That's interesting. Now, I
0: don't believe the soul has a literal shape. It's not a thing. And the, fe- the female body, the male body, both have particular shapes. But the way God has designed my body in clear distinction from a woman
1: mm-hmm.
0: is an illustration of something that's profoundly unique about me as a male in the core of my being. And I believe that maleness and femaleness are stamped into the very center of our being. That goes way beneath the physical, uh, chemical, anatomical differences—the uh, pitch of voice, uh, the shape of the body—all those things are differences. But the core difference goes into the very being of a of a woman. So then the question becomes: As I'm looking at a woman, as I'm talking to women, listening to this to this uh, discussion right now, what is it that makes you a woman? If you put on men's clothes, do you become a man? Of course not. If you have transgender surgery, and you're surgically refitted to appear a, as a man, um, have you become a man, or are now you a woman in a man's body? What do you do with the, what do you do with the, um, the the men, more commonly the women too, but the men that say, as adults, I've been a woman all my life, trapped in a man's body.
1: All of us have seen some TV special so, or read about this. Absolutely, yep. and
0: then they get the surgery. And their body now looks far more like a woman than it does like a man, thanks to the surgeon's modern technical skills, hormones, hormones have about been hair, changed, that's lowering right. of the voice, perhaps all that. Yeah. And um, so now, is that is that woman now a man? Is that man now a woman? Or is there something in the soul that is unique about womanhood and manhood that when a woman understands, she'll be liberated. When she understands that femininity is not an opportunity to be exploited, it's not an opportunity to go on display and wear provocative clothing that men will notice. It isn't an opportunity to be sweet and gentle and, and uh, in all the stereotypic ways about femininity. Is there something deeply feminine in the soul of the female that when understood becomes a very exciting opportunity for that woman?
1: So so when a woman says, and certainly men could say the same thing, uh, say, but if a woman says, uh, you have to understand for all these years, I look back at the childhood pictures, et etc. et cetera, I have been a man trapped in a woman's body. What is really true is, uh, and I'm not saying this glibly, I have been a woman trapped in a woman's body.
0: Well, <laughs> gets kind of complicated, doesn't yeah,
1: it? meaning, meaning she, the depth of who, who she is, period, not the depth of. Yeah. She is woman, and there are things about her body and other issues that are going on that she doesn't feel. She does feel trapped, but to go right away to, well, she's really a man. We jump to that. Yeah. She's a man trapped versus no there are women, because there are plenty of us guys, men, who feel like men trapped in a man, meaning we're so confused about our masculinity. That's what I'm trying to say. Women, yeah. there's confusion about who we are, so it's an attempt to fix that by having surgery or by just changing our appearance. And maybe the better
0: answer, maybe the biblical answer is for that woman to understand what it is about her being that is feminine, that nothing can change. Mm-hmm. And when that deep femininity is released, that is she going to feel then a sense of wholeness? Is she going to feel glad I'm no longer a... Uh, a man trapped in a woman's body, I'm a woman who's being liberated to hmm. express myself with my woman's body, but that isn't the essence of my femininity.
1: So here's where we believe in women's lib, <laughs> right? <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, that uh, makes yeah, me a little uncomfortable, but
0: maybe if you put it that way, we can agree with that.
1: Liberation, just for a second, from uh, overview here, from what to what? And I don't want to steal your thunder in, in one sentence, but, but from what to what? When you say, Uh, a woman would be liberated.
0: There's something in the soul of every human being that rarely comes out. Mm -hmm. And the liberation is from hiddenness. The liberation is from self-hatred. The liberation is from terror. I'm thinking of one particular woman, a, a wonderful lady, who comes from a terrible background where her womanhood was violated through abuse and through Older men that did terrible things to her and Mm -hmm. the lack of a father, etc. And I believe that she has lived her life saying, I am a commodity. I happen to be talented. I'm competent in a variety of areas and I'm useful to this culture. I'm useful to churches. I'm useful to business. I'm useful to people. I'm a useful thing. Now, I believe her femininity is trapped. She needs liberation. Mm-hmm. She is not a useful thing. She, in the core of her being by God's design, is a beautiful woman. And she might hear that and say, yeah, right, find me 10 guys that agree with that. Find me one guy that would look at me and say beautiful woman. And I would say, well, that may not be the case. It may not be that by the world's definition you have the beauty that, uh, that the Vogue magazine celebrates. But is there not something far deeper and, you know, I could be heard by women saying, yeah, you'd never been, you'd never been an unattractive woman. Well, that's true. Um, I'm not sure if I'm the most attractive man in the world, so I struggle with some of that. Mm-hmm. But is there not something about me as a man that goes way beyond whether my body is the Charles Atlas-type body or whether my um, appearance is GQ? And is there not something about a woman that in the core of her being is beautiful by God's design? And could she get hold of that? And could she be liberated from hiddenness to release? Mm. Could she be liberated from the hiddenness of her terror that motivates her to stay in hiding to coming out with confidence coming out with joy and saying I exist as a woman when I walk into the room a feminine person has walked into the room and if you don't see it you're blind and if you don't know it you're missing out Mm -hmm. and not in some proud arrogant way no but I walk into this room as a woman with femininity that if you had the courage to see it you would enjoy And you would be drawn to the God of beauty because of the way I relate to you, because of my being. That's what I want to see women doing.
1: As you say that, I'm thinking of this word that you use, and you use it all throughout New Way Ministries, your conference, your teaching, your writing, release or releasing. We've titled this again, A Liberating Look at Gender Releasing True Masculinity and Femininity. Why that's a big point to me as we're talking about this right here and now is there can be the thought of finally... I'll go with a, a specialist, a counselor who specials in gender identity issues, um, a, a, someone who really knows how to work with with lesbians, or someone who, for men, you know, struggling with with uh, gay issues or homosexual issues. I can finally have enough things I can learn, change, new insights, change who I am, and you're back to that's outward coming in. You're saying no, releasing what's already in you, coming out. That's a fundamental difference.
0: And the f- first time I have experienced that difference as a counselor, I believe it's biblical and I can defend it biblically, but the first time I experienced it in, quote, real life was in my counseling practice when I first began, the first time I dealt with a guy with homosexual issues. Mm-hmm. He had strong desires in a homosexual direction. And I remember as I worked with him, it became very clear to me is I'm not going to change him from homosexual to heterosexual, because number one, I don't know how to do that. I don't think anybody does. But is it possible that through our relationship and through the wisdom of God and through the power of God, he could be released to be the heterosexual that he fundamentally is in his being? And is the reason why his heterosexuality not evident to him at all and why his desires are so uniformly homosexual, Mm -hmm. is that because there's a terror within him of releasing his masculinity? And I remember the image, and this is kind of well, I was kind of pathetic, so I apologize for it before I use it. But I remember the issue in my mind was, if I can find the handle on the, the if I can find the spigot, if I can turn the handle on the sink, that what's going to flow out of the depths of his being is masculine. Mm-hmm. It isn't a question of changing him from homosexual to heterosexual. It's it's releasing what is deeply inside, so the masculine water flows out of his being. And I can still recall the person I'm thinking of, the first gentleman with homosexuality ever dealt with it professionally. A memory came into me after working together for oh, I don't know how long, six months. This is like thirty some years ago. And I can still recall where he was sitting in my office at the time, and he he almost felt like a mature little kid at Christmas. Does that oxymoron make sense? Hmm. With with joy, not with a very strong sense. He said to me, Larry, I took a girl to the movies last week and I put my arm around her and I touched her shoulder and I felt strong. Hmm. I felt like a man with a woman. And it was far more than lust, but it included that there was sexual desire, but it felt like she's with a man and he was just almost giddy with joy. Mm -hmm. I didn't change him. I don't know how to change anybody. God had already stamped masculinity into his being and we just worked together to remove some of the obstacles to its release.
1: As you say that, would you share with just, just do some categories here of, we're talking to focus back on, on femininity, on womanhood. What? goes on as what you've seen through, through years and years of counseling back to early messages. I know messages like women have said that uh, their mother says all a man wants to do is put his thing inside you. Um, that's all he wants to do. That's his goal in life. You can't Messages, you can't trust men. Never trust a man farther than he can. And we could list a million other messages like that. In both ways, to men and women, but a, maybe women in particular. Without question. And we could talk about misogyny and get into that whole issue of how men have just you know, put fathers, uncles, whoever, brothers, put down, women are dumb, they're stupid, they're making fun, women jokes, etc. But on the feminine issue, what are some of the things you've seen that – have brought a woman to be in her adult years, and she's carried it all through those teenage years, but in her adult years thinking, I'm confused about being a woman, but I don't think I've ever had lesbian thoughts. I am not sure even if I'm physically pretty, if I'm pretty inside, or what. even if a 1,000 people tell me how beautiful I am, I don't know that I'm pretty. Clear over to a woman who says, I desire intimacy, soulishly, spiritually, and sexually with a woman more than I do with a man. What has brought about that? What are some of the things that's brought about that in a woman? You, you want to go deep with that? Yeah, I, th- I would like <clears throat> to go deep with that. Because I don't think it's a question of looking at all the bad
0: messages moms have given daughters. That has played a role. Right. I would not minimize that for a bit.
1: It's a typical place a counselor might go to. Let's look at your early childhood, parents, some what messages. That's like the default mode a counselor often will go to.
0: Yeah, and there, there's a place for that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't argue against going there, but if that's as far as you go, you're doing superficial healing. I would say that um that the the enemy here the the enemy here is not mom the enemy here is satan.
1: Hmm.
0: And the enemy here is an enemy of god who has taken god's design for woman and made it a source of terror not joy. And that that woman who when she's 35 40 55 years old is saying I'm so confused I don't feel feminine I don't feel alive as a woman I I'm, I'm able to handle my world, but way down deep, I'm so uncomfortable. I don't know what it means to be a woman. And I find these crazy desires in me for intimacy with a fellow woman. And I was kind of hoping I might like a guy, but I'm mad at guys. I'm scared of guys. or And I don't have any desire for guys. And I want to control guys. And what's going on there? Well, this is where I think we need to get into the pretty deep theological mm-hmm. issues. So let's kind of take a run at that, yes, which I think is an answer to your question, actually. The first time we read about the distinction between men and women— In the Bible, this is Genesis 1, when God is concluding his creation of everything, and now it's time to inhabit the planet with human beings. And God in his infinite wisdom, as the three of them, the Trinity, were having this conference to talk about creating human beings. They said, as a unit, because they always operated in perfect agreement, they said, let's make male and female." God made man. Let's make men in our image. And then we're told male and female, he created them. That's the first time in the Bible, right in the first chapter of Genesis, that we hear that there's a distinction, that God made men and women. So it was his idea.
1: Someone flippantly said he made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Adam would have loved the fishing buddy and said, you know, he definitely made a big difference here.
0: And what he's saying is that I'm going to create, he made Adam first, obviously, and then he made Eve. And... I think he was saying, and I think I can defend this biblically as well, I think he was saying that I'm going to create two persons that are different in ways that are unbelievably complementary. I'm going to create two people in a way that when they come together and the sexual union will be a great picture of it, it'll be the physical height of joy at the moment of orgasm, but that's just a picture of what happens when a male soul and a female soul interrelate and interconnect you know, I've often thought of it this way: that before, immediately before God created Eve, what did He have Adam do? He had him name the animals,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we can look at that later in terms of why that is a bit of a masculine function, and I think it is. He gave it to Adam, not to Eve. But then, after He created the, after He didn't He create the animals, after He named the animals, then it's a very interesting thing in the Scripture. He names the animals, and as soon as He names all the animals, the commentary from the inspired writer is that but for Adam. There was not found a companion, a helper suitable for him. There wasn't a complement to Adam in all the animal kingdom. How do you suppose Adam felt after naming all the animals and seeing every other living thing that was available to him on this planet? And he was looking at dogs and coyotes and giraffes and elephants or whatever else he was looking at. And my guess is that when he finished naming all the animals, he felt very maybe powerful and creative and coming up with all the names. But I'll bet he was looking at all these animals and saying, so who am I going to date Saturday night? No. There's nobody here I want to relate to. Incomplete, maybe. Incomplete. And then God, I think with a twinkle in his eye, says after that whole story, the next sentence is, he put Adam to sleep. Adam, take a nap. And when you wake up, I got a surprise. And he went to sleep. And the bone was taken out of, rib was taken out of his side. And he wakes up and there's Eve. And he says, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh.
1: He knew it it right away, too, didn't he? Right away. There was something
0: inside him that God, there was a masculinity that God had put in Adam that corresponded to the femininity that he now saw before him. And he knew intuitively, romantically, not sort of analytically, he wasn't giving a lecture on male and female. He just saw her and said, yeah. Yeah.
1: No, you, as you know, in the Hebrew, it's a song, it's a poem. He yes, breaks into right. He's breaking it's not into like, a rapture. Oh, that's another one. Yak, uh, deer, uh, okay, woman. That's not at all how it happens. So, what was God's
0: design when He said, "Male and female, He created them"? You know, for our joy. God's God's a, into joy. And the word for female, and let me just kind of take off on this for a few minutes. The word for female in the original language is a word that literally means, and you know, get get ready for this because this is going to be a little bit. Um, it'll take some explanation. The word for female is a word that literally means opening. Hmm. An and opening. Now, you know, if your minds are going in legitimate directions, the first thing you think of is a female body. Mm-hmm. When a man and woman come together, the man enters the opening to have sexual intercourse right. and to produce another child and to have, or without producing child, to have great joy, great intimacy because there's an opening in a woman. And if in fact the way a woman's body is shaped is a parable of the soul, then we have to start thinking about what what does it mean for a woman to be open? Is that vulnerability? And women are going to hear this and say, yeah, walk to Central Park at midnight and risk getting raped. Is that what you're telling us to do, be submissive in the sense of being vulnerable to a man's exploitation? Bear with me because we're talking about something that when you hear it as a woman, and I've, I've talked about this with a number of women, and when they really hear it, there, there's, there's a, there's a sadness that they've missed it, and an excitement that it could happen. So, mm-hmm. so let's kind of stay with it for a second. What does it mean to be open? And let me defend the word again. There's a, there's a passage in the, in the Kings and Chronicles where King Joash asked Jehoiada the high priest to collect money to rebuild the temple. And the Bible says that the high priest built a, what we would call a collection box,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he put an opening in the top. So when the Israelites came by to put their dollar bills into this collection box, there was a place where it could be received and it could be received for a wonderful purpose. And that's the same word for opening. He put an opening Mm -hmm, in the box. mm -hmm. It's the same word for female. So then I start sitting back and thinking about it and I go, hmm. So a woman is capable of being entered for what purpose? For the joy of the man? Well, that's included. But it's not central. A woman is being capable, it is capable of being entered, capable of receiving another person into herself, and not just sexually now, a, a girlfriend, a daughter, a husband, a friend. She's capable of receiving someone into herself so that she can display the beauty that is within her for the revelation of God's character to another.
1: Can you say that one more time? That that's really powerful because that's not Where our minds will normally go. A woman is capable
0: of receiving another into her depths. I'm not speaking physically, now sexually. Right, A woman is capable of receiving another into her deepest being for the purpose, not merely of the pleasure of the other, though that's included, Mm -hmm. but she's not just a useful tool, but for the purpose of being a co-agent with God (laughs) in revealing the beauty of God to another so that the kingdom of God is advanced by her being deeply feminine. Now... Think about that. Think of the first Peter passage. Peter starts talking to women. He says, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. And every woman gets turned off at that point. And Peter says, no, hang with me. I got some good stuff to say here. And what I want you to realize, women, is that you have a beauty. And the beauty goes way beyond, you know, he talks about hairdos and jewelry and all that. Right. The, your beauty goes way beneath that. Nothing's wrong with having a beautiful haircut and buying a pretty dress or whatever you want to wear. And uh, having physical beauty, thats something wrong with that. That's fine. But if you don't have physical beauty, don't worry about it. Because there's something in you that has the unfading beauty. I think of, um, you know, the movie stars that that uh, trade in wives. They want to get a prettier one. And um,
1: and the many women, mm-hmm. I'm not being silly at all here, who continue. You can't read a People magazine or something that they're not at the grocery store, you know, continuing to plastic surgery, do everything they can. And it's, it, um, how futile.
0: <laughs> you just put that little caveat there in a grocery store, meaning you don't buy them?
1: Well, you know, I want to be careful for the representing New Wave Ministries. <laughs> well,
0: uh, I've looked at people myself a time or two. And yeah, there's the whole thought of, there's a whole thought of these beautiful women and catch them when they're 60. Yeah. My wife is 61. And Jim, I can say with truthfulness, <laughs> I think she's more beautiful today than she was at 25. Now, if she wants to go on cosmopolitan cover, or Vogue, there might be more temptation to put her on when she was 25 than she was 61, right. but I see a beauty that's unfading, and as a matter of fact, I think it's getting richer and deeper in, in my wife. So what's he talking about? What's this unfading beauty of a woman that a woman is capable of releasing to a man? Well, here's where it gets pretty complicated, so stay with me. It says that, um, P- Peter says, your, your, your beauty is a, is a certain kind of an attitude, a certain spirit, I think meek and gentle is the King James. I forget the NIV. But there, there's two characteristics that are talked about there. There's a deep beauty. And it's very striking that the words meek and quiet or quiet and gentle, whatever the two words are there, are exactly the opposite in meaning as to what Proverbs says in Proverbs, 29, in Proverbs 21, when in verse 9 and verse 19, the writer of the Proverbs says this, that when a man is married to a contentious woman, the opposite of meek. when a woman mar- when a man is married to a contentious woman, he wants to he'd prefer to live in the corner of a roof yeah. than be in the living room with a woman like that. And then in verse 19 he goes further and says, the man who's married to a contentious and a vexing woman, the opposite of the second word in first Peter, right. quiet gentle, that man would rather be in a desert. Starving to death with no water and nothing but brutal sunlight is boiling him to death. He'd rather be there than in the same house with a, with house with a contentious and a vexing woman. So we have to start thinking about. Apparently, the beauty of a woman is to be meek and gentle, as opposed to contentious and vexing. Now, again, don't get turned off by the words. You're supposed no, to be an right. Edith Bunker, and you know, sit back and whatever you want, dear. i you know, you want breakfast? I'll make you of your ham and eggs every morning, and I'll be a good wife. We're not talking about that at all. Because the Lord was the meekest man that ever lived. And so God is defining femininity as something that was characteristic of Jesus. And what it really means is, my understanding is, I have a strength within me that you cannot intimidate. You cannot disrupt. You cannot destroy who I am. I am centered in who I am in my relationship with God. And, husband, if you never change, I am not desperate to make you different.
1: And that strength, again, not being silly, that has nothing to do with testosterone in a woman. No. This power, or and I'm not talking about physical. I'm just saying, some, I'm just gonna be, you know, this, I'll be a tough woman in Christ. That's not what you're talking no, about. No, nothing
0: at all. And the opposite of this strength, this meekness that we're talking about is the contentious idea. Okay. And in the Hebrew, the word contentious in Proverbs 21 and verse nine is a word that could, in our modern language, be translated referee. You watch a basketball game and you got mm-hmm. a couple refs out there. What's their tool? Whistle. A, wh- a whistle. A yeah. whistle. And so the woman who every time her husband steps out of line is, you know, you, you got to change that. Is she not operating out of her terror? Is she not saying that I'm not sure about my beauty and the way you're behaving is not confirming it? So you jolly well better change. Is that clear? That's the whistle. You're not sure of your femininity, so you're demanding your husband affirm it all the time. That's not womanly. That's controlling. And then vexing, the second word that, the writer of the proverb says you want to get away from, is a word which means that when you don't change, I'm going to trouble you about it for the rest of your life. I'm going to be that drippy faucet that you can't turn off when you're trying to sleep. And when Peter says that the, the beauty of a woman is a, is a meek, strong, and a quiet spirit, and the quiet spirit's the opposite of vexing. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that when my husband fails me, or when my girlfriend fails me, when my mother fails me, when my friends fail me, that sure, it's going to hurt. And a good wife will say to her husband, as my wife said to me, you've, you've failed me here. This hurts a lot, but I'm not going to make a career out of letting you know how much it hurt me. But I'm going to be open to letting you know that you've hurt me. And I'm going to be an opening for you to enter. And now if you want better ways to hurt me, I've just taught you how you can do it more. That's being deeply feminine And I'm not going to require that you be different. Do I want you to be different? Of course I do. I don't like the way you hurt me. I really wish you'd change. But I have a strength that if you never change, you can't destroy me. And I'm not going to make a career out of troubling you of what a lousy husband you are. I'm going to make a career out of being a woman, out of being feminine. And I'm going to yield myself to you, not in the sense of being a submissive little servile nothing, but in the sense of revealing the beauty of God to you. You're going to get a taste of beauty that when you behave like a man you'll be able to enter the beauty of my soul and find some real enjoyment of that. When you don't behave like a man, then you're not going to have any experience of joy. Let me give you one illustration of this before we draw to a close because there's a whole lot more to say about this. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember years ago when I was counseling full-time, I counsel part-time now, a woman came to see me very distressed, a godly woman, loves the Lord, wanted to be a Christian wife, and her husband, not a believer, or if he was a believer, wasn't much of one, he said to her the neighbors are swingers and i want us to exchange partners for some fun and she said to me i know the bible says i got to be submissive does that mean i'm supposed to go over and do it um and of course the answer is no Mm -hmm. but she said am i supposed to be submissive and i said well of course
1: I got to be submissive here? You're telling me to be submissive? And I said, well, yes. Everybody's listening now. They've turned the volume up. What is this guy talking about?
0: And I said, be submissive to your husband by saying to him, not on your life. When you choose to be a man and honor how God has made you as a man to move toward me as a woman, to release your strength into my beauty, when you do that, you're going to find me totally available to you, but I'm going to submit my beauty to the purposes of God by saying no to you at this point. And when I say no to you, I'm not saying no to you just because what you're asking me to do is sinful. That's reason enough to say no. But I'm going to say no to you because if I were to agree with your movement, your movement is so of the devil, and if I were to agree with your movement and to go have sex with a husband next door while you have sex with a wife, I'm not revealing the beauty of God to you. I'm not being submissive to you. So I'm going to be submissive to you by saying, my beauty is at your disposal to enjoy your manhood. When you want to pervert your manhood, then my submission to you is saying no to that. Now that's a little bit of a different view of submission. The word the word submit does not mean just do what you're told. Right. Hupatasso in the original has the idea of fall in line with a larger design.
1: Which would be God's design. God's
0: design. And God's design is not to swap wives. God's design is as a woman, I am here to reveal that there's something gorgeous about my soul. And if you want to enjoy it, try being a man.
1: As you say that, I'm just thinking, I've used this word myself a lot in counseling to, to think of just in, in the English words, uh, submission, sub means under, to put yourself, and it does tie into the Greek word hupotosil you talked about, but mission is, what is God's mission for your husband? <laughs> Beautiful. And then to put yourself under that and say, I will undergird as best I can God's mission for you. And that I hear that in what you're saying, that that's how a woman could submit to what God's mission is, and God's mission has nothing to do with swinging.
0: Yeah. And maybe the way to, the, the, the way to kind of bring this home for a moment as, as women are listening to this, and maybe better if a woman were teaching this, but, but let me just, as a guy, let, let me say to the women that, um, that what, what God is saying to you is in the core of your soul, there is something beautiful that is available for the world to see so that they can better understand the absolute beauty of God. And if your response is, yeah, right, I hope the time will come when you'll say, yeah, right. Hmm. This is really good. Hmm. And as you start getting hold of the, of just the idea that there's a beauty in your soul, whether you're 75 years old and you're way overweight, or whether you're a gorgeous teenage girl that every guy is just longing to, date and maybe go further with, that your beauty is, is not wrapped up in your physical attractiveness. Praise God if it's there. If it's not there, no great loss. That when you get hold of the fact that there's a deep feminine beauty in your soul that is not in the soul of a man in the same way, you're going to be in touch with your terror. You're going to say, if I really believe that, suppose I begin behaving like a woman and not a commodity not a controlling person who runs the world with my whistle as a contentious and a vexing person not merely a competent person as i lead the corporation and my thought is great if you're competent as a ceo do a great job and make a million bucks a year nothing unfeminine about that but understand that in the core of your being there's a beauty that you long to release into relationship and you're going to be scared because you're going to say but if i really allowed the deepest part of my soul to come out would it be beautiful or would it not be beautiful Carol Gilligan, as a Harvard professor, Mm -hmm. wrote a book called In a Different Voice some years ago. And she interviewed a number of uh, heads of corporations, CEOs and physicians, all women. And she said to them, are you achievement-oriented or are you relational-oriented? If you had the opportunity, and this was the question she asked, if you had the opportunity to be in a relationship with a man as a woman and to enjoy your femininity in the presence of masculinity... Would you value your CEO job over that? Or would you give up your high calling in business to enjoy that kind of relationship? And she said there wasn't one woman who who strayed from the pattern. The pattern was, I was designed to be beautiful in relationship with the man. Nothing's wrong with achievement. But if I had to make a choice, I would choose the enjoyment of my beauty in relationship with the man.
1: Well, again, you've been listening to our series, A Liberating Look at Gender. Releasing True Masculinity and True Femininity. This is part two in our series from New Way Conversations, all part of the Larry Crabb Audio Library. Please remember that we have a number of other printed and audio and video resources that are available through the Internet. Our website is, again, newwayministries.org. newwayministries.org. And also remember, we are a non ministry We believe that God has called us to be part of a revolution in relationships, and we need many of you certainly to stand with us financially to help support what we're doing. You can do that again by going right to the website www.newwayministries.org and certainly be praying for us in all that we're doing here. We want to be led by the Spirit and certainly be part of something that God Himself is instrumentally leading most of all, we thank you for listening to this series. We have more to go in this series and certainly a whole lot more in the way of resources again. We hope you'll check them out at newwayministries.org. And now for Dr. Larry Crabb, I'm Jim Kress. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. To subscribe, visit largerstory.com.